Among the hallmarks of the Rebbe's analysis of Rashi's commentary is that although Rashi is driving his explanation to a child, but at the same time, there's always a deeper element, and Rashi is alluding to both halachic as well as Kabbalistic ideas. And this week's Torah portion really is a great example of that, with a very short Rashi, but at deeper analysis, we can really pull out some powerful ideas. So the verse that begins the parsha starts and says, And you shall command the children of Israel, and they shall obtain for you Shemen Zait Zach. Shemen Zait is, of course, olive oil. And then Zach means clear. And that's a descriptive term, and we're not exactly sure whether that descriptive term should go to apply to the word Shemen, to the oil, that the oil needs to be clear, or Zait, that the olive needs to be of the very best condition. And that's actually the basis for a disagreement that we're going to see between Rashi and Evan Ezra. By Avram, Evan Ezra was a contemporary of Rashi's. He was a little bit younger than Rashi. And he likewise wrote a commentary that is very much based on the basic interpretation of the text. And in this case, Rash, the, the Rebbe always focuses on Rashi's explanation. But um, in this case, we're going to see a little bit of difference that Rashi is going to try to approach things the way as he describes it, the way a child would ask questions and that would lead them to uh, his explanation as opposed to Evan Ezra, who is more focused on trying to make sure that the words are, uh, the translation of the word fits into the exact pattern of the words. So Rashi begins his commentary on these words by quoting the beginning of the verse, and you shall command, and then he skips to the word zach, meaning pure or clear, and he writes without sediment. As we have learned in Talmud Tractate Menachot, he lets the olives at the top of the tree reach their optimum ripeness. So Rashi is not explaining the word zach, because the word zach, meaning clear or pure, is found elsewhere in the Torah, so he's not translating the word because the word is fairly common. Rather, what he's doing here is he's explaining that the olive oil needs to be without sediment. On the other end, Ebenezer explains that the olive itself needs to be one that is in the best of conditions that animals weren't eating or isn't rotten or anything of the sort. So the difference between the two opinions is that Rashi is recognizing that a child would realize that the Jewish people are in the desert at this point of the story. And being in the desert, they wouldn't have access to fresh olives. So therefore, it's illogical to say that Moshe was being commended to go get fresh in the best condition uh, olives when those are not readily available. So that's the reason why he goes and says that the term zach, the 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 descriptive term zach, clear, refers to the olive oil as opposed to the olive. Evan Ezra, on the other hand, is focused more on the pattern of the words, and he's would he would be of the opinion that the word zach would refer to the olive because that word follows the word zayit. It follows the word olive, and so therefore it's being a description specifically of the olive. Now, with this explanation, we can also understand why Rashi quoted the beginning words of the verse, even though the only word that he's explaining is the word zach, the words ve'atat which means, and you shall command. 
And the reason why is because elsewhere in Rashi explains that anytime there is a clear command, it is a command for right now and for the future for all time. So the question that Rashi is answering by including these words is to point out that the Jewish people, of course, would eventually find themselves in the land of Israel where they would be surrounded by olive trees. Olive trees would be readily available so they would be able to get um, the best quality olives. Yet the application of the term Zach continues into the future. In other words, even into the future when they'll have olives readily available, they will still not need to find the best quality olives, but to make sure that the olive oil is absolutely clear and of the very best quality. Evan Ezra, of course, would disagree with that, and he would say that the olives need to be of the best quality, both in the desert as well as in the land of Israel. Rashi then quotes the source of his commentary, which is from Talmud Tractate Menachot, and the reason why he does that is to exclude other sources that talk about this subject. And in Menachot, it only brings his opinion. He wants to focus the reader's attention to that particular source. Now, this discussion is not just one that applies specifically to the conversation about olive oil. It also goes to a greater discussion of halacha, which is something that is very much applicable to us nowadays. And that is that when a person gives a gift to God, whatever that means, whether that means a gift to a synagogue or whether that means a person is contributing something in a charitable manner. So a person is giving something to a poor person or something like that. The verse tells us, that only the best should be given to God. And the question is, from what point does that concept apply? So Evan Ezra is telling us that this idea applies from the preparatory stage of the giving. So at the point where you've decided to give, at that point already you need to make sure that whatever, you, whatever it is that you're giving God or giving to charity needs to be of the very highest quality. Rashi, on the other hand, says that from the earlier stages, once you've decided and you, you want to give something, at that point it doesn't really make a difference. It's only when you're actively giving whatever it is to God or to charity that you need to make sure that it's of the highest quality. So that's the practical difference that applies to us nowadays with regards to this disagreement. And then there's a spiritual dimension of it. When olives are originally on the tree, they're not edible. They're actually quite bitter. The process of transforming something that's inedible into something that's very usable, and not just usable, but valuable, is something that's very, very important in Judaism in general, and particularly in Kabbalah, where the whole discussion about transforming the darkness into light, transforming negativity into positive. And the olive is an analogy for this idea. And here we have two different stages of this concept. On the basic level, you have Evan Ezra's perspective. And that perspective is that when you approach darkness, you need to do it very, very carefully. You can't just approach negativity and wrestle it over and turn it into goodness. It just doesn't work that way. You have to approach it with the appropriate uh, rules, with the appropriate attitude, and you need to make sure that your approach is defined in accordance with Jewish law and with Jewish ideals.
only by approaching it in that way and then crushing it are you able to extract the oil which is much greater qualitatively and quantitatively than the single individual olive. Rashi, on the other hand, is alluding to a much deeper idea of darkness. And that's the darkness that's alluded to in the verse that King David said, Yashet Choshech Sitro, that darkness is his hiding place. And what that's a reference to is there's a certain element of concealment of godliness that is beyond the capacity of the human being or the world at large to be able to handle. It's a deep, deep darkness, not because it's negative, but because it's the beyond. And the olive is a reference to that, that darkness of the deep, not just the darkness as we see it on our end. So because he's approaching the olive in that way, his concern is not with the olive, let it stay bitter, that's not what we're concerned with, rather we're concerned with the oil, which is as the olive comes out in such a way for us to be able to receive it. And that's already the point where we are able to deal with this concealment, because now it's been brought into a state that we can use, and now that it's brought into that state, at that point we need to make sure that it's brought down in a pure state, in a state that is free of any contaminants, free of any negativity, and we are going to be able to use it in such a way that it will impact us in a positive way, and it'll light the menorah to be able to light our lives.